Alrighty, good evening, everybody. Good evening. You can grab your Bibles, turn with me. We'll pick up in our study where we left off. Second Samuel chapter 10. Second Samuel chapter 10. And some of you asked about the ESV. Uh, we are going to the, a new version after Easter. So the Sunday after Easter, we'll be reading from the ESV. Uh, it's very, very similar to the NIV, only, um, only different. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, people have been asking me about the new Bible series on television. Uh, I have watched a lot of it. Uh, it's a lot of Hollywood. It's a lot of cause for high blood pressure. Because I'm just sitting there going, you know, that's interesting, but where'd you find that? It's not in the Bible. Uh, so if, 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 you're, if you don't have a problem with high blood pressure, then, you know, and you're not taking it as the gospel truth, and you're just uh, watching along, you know, watch along. It's like Charlton Heston, uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, I highly recommend you just uh, read the Bible narratives yourself out of the Bible. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. We'll pick up in chapter 10. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your presence here with us tonight. We are so desperate for your help, Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can understand uh, the the God-breathed word here uh, in our laps and in our hearts. We just pray that the Holy Spirit help us to grasp what, what it is you're trying to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Samuel 9 from last week and uh, 2 Samuel 10, which we'll be looking at tonight, are really two beautiful Old Testament pictures of gospel invitations back to back. And 2 Samuel 9 that we saw last week is, is, uh, really shows us the beauty when the king's grace is accepted. And God's mercy and love are received. It's a beautiful thing. And this week, the same sort of idea that we see, 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, but we're going to see the king's grace when it's rejected, when the gospel is refused and the awful consequences uh, that happen when that's the case. So last week, we saw the gospel in all its beauty, something that we all could relate to. Uh, King David... Seek someone to bless, you'll recall from last week. And a little context, if you missed last week's study, uh, King David is just in this wonderful mood to bless and to lavish kindness upon somebody. And he searches out a relative of one of his enemies, Saul. And one is found and brought before him. It would be Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And the text tells us he's just lame, he's crippled, he's brought into the palace. He was uh, tragically dropped as a baby and uh, has a permanent injury as a result of that. He's out living in no man's land. Uh, The the text actually describes the place he lives, nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. He's powerless. He's living in David's kingdom with the uh, the wrong last name. And so he's related to somebody who should, uh, he should be killed because of his relationship with Saul and not blessed at all. So you remember he's hauled in before the king 
Mephibosheth's probably expecting the worst for sure, quaking there in his boots. And uh, David has a big warm smile. And with the stroke of a pen, the king makes Mephibosheth wealthy just because. Just because he can and just because he has love in his heart and just because he's that kind of king that shows loving kindness to those who don't deserve it. And so Mephibosheth inherits all of Saul's land and David gives him servants to take care of that land for him. And he's given a permanent place at the king's table and right next door to the royal sons, the dignitaries. And so um, he said, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bows down and says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? But Mephibosheth, in humility accepts the king's grace. He had a choice. He could have said, no, thank you, and given a host of reasons why it doesn't make sense for him to move out of the boonies and and come and live in Jerusalem and be eating at the king's table. And Mephibosheth's shame disappears. And guess what Mephibosheth's name really means? It means shame disappears. And so uh, another rendering, shame destroyer or image breaker. So it's a new day in Mephibosheth's life. And and for that matter, anybody, when the king and his love come calling and they humbly accept it. uh, And just like us, where were you when the king found you? You know, we relate to the lameness, the powerlessness, uh, being a nobody, deserving really the wrath of God, but ending up because of our relationship with Jesus being lavished upon this, uh, adopted into the royal family. You know, the Lord told his followers, and I confer upon you a kingdom there in Luke 22, just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones with me. And so the idea is right there. It's just a beautiful example there. uh, A thousand years before Jesus was even appearing in Bethlehem. Okay, so chapter 9 is the glory of the gospel, the kindness of the king, the beauty of undeserved life restored and blessed, the picture of us, the gospel, the wonder of mercy, the glory of the king, and all for the person who accepts the kindness of a kind hearted king. Now, here in chapter 10, the king is in that benevolent mood again. Grace is extended, but there's a difference here. The glorious gospel goes out, but with an altogether different result. The king and his kindness reach out, but it is not well received. Uh, Let's start with verses 1 and 2. Now, in the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. So, uh, first of all, we see the king's kindness extended. 
So your text says in the course of time. Uh, That means after David has fulfilled his promise to Jonathan, getting his crippled boy established at the royal table. It's time to show kindness again. And now he's on another mission of mercy, David is. And David hears about uh, the king of the Ammonites, who was a, a, a ferocious enemy of Israel, Uh, that he died, and now David sees a felt need in somebody, somebody who's an enemy. He sees an open door to bring the gospel of God's kindness, and this is how the gospel is. The king, our Lord, sees felt needs, and he often goes to people with a felt need, and in their time of need is when really the gospel comes calling. Most people in here would raise their hand if I asked, Did the gospel come to you in a time of panic or a time of need or a time of desperation? Most people have a testimony that says it was in a time where I really felt like the only way out was with God and and God came through. So here we have the gospel coming again to this guy who's in need. And David sees a a heart that can be touched with God's grace. So he's thinking... uh, He's thinking, I'll show King Nahash in Hebrew means snake. And so David says, I'm going to show the king snake's son some kindness. And why not his father Nahash may have fought against Israel and Saul, but he was good to me back in the day. Maybe I can build on this. You know, he's a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers, for they shall see God. Uh, So David sends out a royal delegation on a peaceful gospel mission, if you will. And you'll recall the Ammonites. Now, who are they? I just told you they're bad guys, but they're relatives to the Jews. Do you remember Uh, Lot's daughter had two boys in a very uh, unbecoming situation? And one was named Moab, and he became the father of the Moabites, who are relatives to the Jews, but a real problem. And also, one, the second one was called Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites. And so they're, they're relatives, but as we all know, sadly, that some of our worst troubles come from not outside the family, but within the family, and all God's people said... I know, I know. And so uh, a thorn in the flesh to Israel, uh, relatives, but really bad guys for sure. And oh, by the way, the Ammonites lived where modern day Syria is. And do you see Ammon? It's named after the Ammonites. 3,500 years ago, the Bible wrote that they lived right there. What an amazing coincidence. 3,500 years ago, we have writings that they lived right in that region, and they're still there. Amazing. All right, thank you for that map. I just like to throw out little things like that. So there's bad blood there under King Nahash, and uh, you'll remember that Uh, It was King Nahash who has died that David is thinking about. He is the guy who attacked Jabesh Gilead back in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And remember the guys at Jabesh Gilead said to King Nahash, Hey, listen, 
we'll make a treaty with you. Don't kill us all. And so he said, okay, here's the terms of the contract. Uh, We will gouge out the right eye of every Jewish male. All right? So Jabesh Gilead said, uh, give us a few days to think about it. (laughs) Okay? And so he said, yeah, take your time. And so Jabesh Gilead called to Saul. And Saul, this is his first big test, King Saul. And the Spirit of God came on King Saul. And King Saul routed and destroyed them and pushed them back. But there was very bad blood there. Now, uh, he may, Nahash was uncool with Saul and Israel, but he was cool with David. This was during David's fugitive years. Now, you know the saying, you can fill it in for me, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You didn't know that? All right, let's try it again. Now you already know the answer. All right, the enemy of my enemy is my Yeah, so see, the problem was David was Saul's enemy and uh, Nahash's enemy. So so now suddenly Nahash liked David and David kind of hit it off with Nahash. You remember David was running from Saul. He couldn't live in Israel. So David was friends and, and making friends and treaties with foreign armies. And one of those armies, and we don't know how it happened, was Nahash. And Nahash did something nice for him. And it's not recorded. But it's recorded in David's heart because David is a man of God. And men of God and women of God have a strong sense of obligation to honor and to thank people who have helped them along the way. That's a Christian attribute. Just because somebody's out of sight doesn't mean they're out of Mind And uh, so David has this sense of obligation to thank and bless those uh, who are even connected with this man. So he, David Guzik said, David wasn't content to feel kindness toward Hanun. He did something to bring the grieving man comfort. Our hearts go out to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. And that's as far as it goes. Let us go all the way when our hearts go out. Let our hands and our feet go out as well and do something practical like this man David was doing. An interesting word study, the word kindness there. It's that famous Hebrew word hesed. And it's very difficult to uh, translate into English. In fact, every uh, place you look, they'll say it it can't be translated without an explanation. And so uh, the idea there, there are words like that in different languages. I lived in Japan, as you know, for four years. And there's a word that you say in greetings. And also when you're leaving somebody, you say, yoroshiku onagaishimasu. And there's no way to explain what that means. It's a combination of be kind to me. I'm in your hands. I'm indebted to you. I'm counting on you. Please help me. Please take care of me. Nice to meet you. Let's be friends. (laughs) It's so handy. It just takes every, it just covers everything. It just means I'm coming under you in this relationship. Please treat me nicely. I'm indebted to you already. And I, I realize how important you are to me in this relationship. Nice to meet you. It just, it's just really hard to, okay. Hesed means grace and loyalty, kindness and mercy, but with a covenant in mind. So it's a really powerful 
word. So David hears that King Snake's dead and his son is on the throne, the little serpent. And uh, (laughs) David's thinking, I'm going to reach out to this guy. I can relate to losing my father. Maybe this will break the generational curse between us. Peace and friendship and blessing with the Ammonites. You know, sometimes the shock of a good gesture in the, in, the, in the opposite spirit of what has been going on, it's kind of like CPR. It's kind of like those paddles, you know? Here, you, uh, nobody's expecting a kind uh, gesture in this kind of situation where, they, where they're enemies. And so he's going he's gonna to try to shock him into a, some sort of living relationship. You know why, folks? Because agape love hopes all things. So loving kindness flowing from the throne. So let's see how it goes. uh, Verses three through five. Now, when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commander said to Hanan, their Lord, do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's men, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the middle, and sent them away. Now, when David was told about this, he sent uh, messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. Yeah. Uh, The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. All right, so we have the king's kindness extended, and now we're going to have the king's kindness rejected. But not just in a simple, no thanks. You know what, David, really, there's enough bad blood between us. Just go away. Uh, Thank you very much, but no, not interested. Now, uh, what goes wrong here? The gospel goes out. The king wants to bless. There's a felt need. There's a, it's merciful. If he says yes, I mean, Israel's a superpower and David is the super king of the superpower of the region right now. But something goes wrong and it all starts with suspicious slander. Verse three. Now, it seems that Hanan was initially receptive there uh, because they're reacting and challenging him. So he's open, but they're going to convince him otherwise. So here's kind of what they're saying. Uh, Hanan's assistants see this guy saying, hey, man, wow, wow, David, really? And they say, are you kidding me? What kind of sucker does David think we are? Oh, yeah, his heart just bleeding for you. He goes out to you. He's probably crying right now. You know why he's crying so hard? He's laughing at us. Obviously, he's scoping out the land to get ready to attack and destroy us. So, par for the course when it comes to unregenerate pagans, men without the Holy Spirit. Uh, When they're confronted with Hesed, uh, it doesn't make sense to them. How, how could it? You remember Lost in Space? Any of you are old and ancient like I am? Uh, the robot used to say, does not compute, does not compute, and he was ready to just kind of fall over. Well, that's what unbelievers, that's how they react when you do a God thing. When a God thing, like to love your enemy, to do, do an act of kindness for somebody who hates you and just hurts you, 
deliberately. When you do an act of kindness to them, that does that just like does not compute. <laughs> does not compute. Uh, listen. Here's what they're thinking. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't know God. They don't know the Lord. They don't know Hesed from Hessel. I mean, they can't just tell. That was so funny. And that, is, that Hessel church, Hesed, never mind. I'm moving on. Maybe I'll go there next Sunday. Just kidding. That's, I'm just digging, digging my hole. Uh, that's not normal. That's not how normal people act. So certainly it's something we would never do. So there's no way that he is really being legit because we can't, we can't understand it. We wouldn't do it. Proverbs 24, verse 16. This is God's kind of love. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased. How about this one? In in the Old Testament, Exodus 23. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. Yeah, I'll return it all right on a barbecue. Yeah, all right. Sorry. Verse (laughs) 5. If you see the donkey as someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. What? And this is the deal. This is what's happening. The natural person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The whole point is... They can't receive it because they don't know anything about it. And so their only one logical conclusion is this. He's lying. And so it's a terrible thing, but that's what they're thinking. So, by the way, the spiritual application, of course, is when the king's kindness comes to us, uh, the devil always appeals to the sinner's natural understanding and slanders. The, the Greek word for devil, as you know, is the same as Spanish, diabolos, which means slanderer, to accuse, to talk smack about in modern day uh, lingo. So what is he going to say? He tells the sinner, oh, come on, God loves you, and you know exactly who you are and what you've done. And, and, and God is going to become a man, lay down, and, and die on a cross for, for enemies who are crucifying him. Seriously? You know what, really, this is all a ploy to just get, take away your freedom and your autonomy and your fun. Do you see? It's the same idea. We see it with the men who are surrounding somebody who's getting the gospel message and, and the lies and the fear and the immaturity is going to help Hanan Harden his heart to this beautiful uh, message. And so uh, Hanan sides with the slanderers and he shaves off the men's beards halfway and cuts the robe off at the waist and sends them on their way. Uh, uh, How did that happen? Because these are David's mighty men. Well, they're on a peaceful mission and they probably put themselves in a vulnerable place, putting their uh, weapons aside you know, they had to wave a white flag like, hey, we're not here to destroy you guys. We're not here to fight. King David sent us to bring some, something to comfort uh, Hanan's heart. Well, it, it, it goes without saying uh, that there couldn't have been anything more humiliating or violating 
to Middle Eastern men than to shave off their beard. Uh, There's an ancient proverb that says, no mess with a man's mane in the Middle East. I don't know if you, it's not in our Bible, but apparently it's in a Bible that I found laying around. Uh, (laughs) You don't mess with somebody's beard. You don't cut it off. Every guy who's ever read this passage, the first thought is, somebody is going to die. That is exactly what every man thinks. Somebody's going to die, and they're going to die in a really bad way. Uh, Especially cutting off the robe at the waist. That's not cool. That is not cool. That's the stuff of nightmares. People have nightmares about that stuff. So uh, Proverbs seventeen thirteen, evil will never leave the house of one who pays back evil for good. So we're about to see uh, that happen. So I love David. Uh, the first thing he does is minister to the needs of his victimized men. He doesn't blame them. What could have Saul would have said, "What you guys? What you guys doing? Where were your weapons? I can't believe what a reflection on me and Israel." What were you doing? What were you thinking? And number two, he could have said, you know, uh, hey, come on in here. And we're going to just use this as a political uh, ploy to whip up a frenzy against the Ammonites. But no, he says, you guys, what's most important here is let's have a little moment to reflect and to pray and seek the Lord. You guys wait in Jericho. uh, So your friends and your family won't. Be, you won't be humiliated in front of them. Let your beards grow back. We'll get you some clothes and everything will be all right. So dignity and honor, he allows them to wait in Jericho. Okay, reading verse 6 to verse 12. When the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zoba, as well as the king of Makkah with a thousand men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of their city gate, while the Arameans of Zoba and Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the open country. Now Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him. So he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you... Then I will come to rescue you. Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Okay, let's pause there. We're almost finished. Uh, The king's kindness was extended. Secondly, the king's kindness rejected. And now the king's kindness is withdrawn. Uh, There is a limit to the patience and mercy of God. There's a limit with men and there's a limit with God. 
but at least the Ammonites realized that it was their own doing. It's nice to hear in verse 6, they made themselves a stench and they were obnoxious to David because uh, David didn't reject them, but they rejected him. Uh, so I imagine word got out to David, uh, or, or rather to, um, to the bad guys, that David received the guys back and wasn't too happy. So the Ammonites expect reprisal, and they're correct in verse 6. And uh, so they hire some extra soldiers. They're mercenaries. Uh, 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 this is a common practice back in the day. So they got from Assyria 20,000 soldiers. And then in verse 7, you see 13,000 nomadic tribesmen. All right? So they hire 33,000 people to help, soldiers. And they paid 70, 75,000 pounds of silver, which is in today's market. $37.5 million. So they hired out some soldiers to help them because Israel now is a superpower. So verse 7, David hears the war drums and he sends out the entire army under Joab. Now Joab, you'll remember, is David's nephew. So Abishai is the brother of uh, Joab. So they're they're both nephews to King David. Joab is a gifted general, and he finds himself in a real pickle here in verse 9. Israel's surrounded and trapped in the middle. So uh, there's two armies. One is in front of them, and one is behind. So Joab's like, okay, what am I going to do? So Joab, uh, Joab takes the best troops and goes after the stronger threat in front of them. And he says to his brother Abishai, you take the remainder of our soldiers and you go after the weaker threat. And if I can't beat them back, I'll call you. Same in your case. And then he gives three great exhortations there. First of all, he says, men, here we go. Be strong. I love that. He's saying, use every personal resource to win. Focus. He's saying, man up. Let's do this. I love the verse that in Proverbs that says, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? I've always liked that. It just kind of says, if you fail under pressure, you need more strength. Like what, what? of all the times to fail, don't fail when everything's on the line. That's the idea there, of be, be strong. Now is the time. Ephesians 6.10, when, when the Lord says, uh, commands us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, that's a command and it's a choice. It's a choice to be strong in the Lord. Uh, second thing he says is fight for our people. So before they go to war, he's saying, man, fight for our people. The outcome of this battle uh, will impact our families. And sir and ma'am, the outcome of this battle that you are in right now, it affects people you dearly love and who dearly love you. So you need to be strong and you need to remember, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. People depend on you. People love you. You love them. And when, when you lose because you're going to faint, 
in the time of trouble or you're not going to be strong in the Lord or you're going to yield just this once to temptation and you're not going to fight the good fight. Your families, people, brothers and sisters in Christ will be impacted. Fight for our people. Be strong. And don't forget God is number three. He says, this is a spiritual battle. God gave us this land. God is with us. They started this. This is a just fight here. And I love verse 12, he, the, the humility, the dependence on God. Uh, the ultimate outcome is in God's hands, and he's good. That's what he says. He's saying, we're going to do our part and be strong and courageous and be diligent, but we're going to leave the rest in God's hands, and he's good. He is for us. Uh, I love David's words to Goliath. All those gathered here will know, Goliath, that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You know, last night we did the financial seminar, the Dave Ramsey thing the first night. I loved it. Just loved it. Great communicator. You know what? Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of our Lord, our God. Some trust in financial planners and programs, and in budgets. They're all good. Horses are good in the day of battle. Chariots are important, shields and all of that. But it's the name of the Lord. It's God who gives the victory. And so they knew, we'll do our part. God does his, but really, ultimately, it's in God's hands. So uh, I didn't want anybody to think, oh, now it's Dave Ramsey to the rescue. Or now that I have a budget, praise my budget. I mean, praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? Okay, (laughs) let's finish up. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight uh, the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites realized that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai and went into the city. So Joab returned from fighting, and the Ammonites, uh, and, and they came to Jerusalem After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadad-Ezer had Arameans brought from beyond the river. They went to Halam and Shobach, the commander of Hadad-Ezer's army, leading them. When David was told this of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadad-Ezer saw they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. And I don't blame them for that. So now the king's kindness was extended, one. Number two, the king's kindness was rejected. Number three, the king's kindness was withdrawn. And once the kindness of the king is withdrawn, you can only have one thing, the king's victory established. And so uh, like most of the battles that God's people fight, for the Lord, the enemy flees without much engagement. And so it's, it's really all over here before it really gets started. So the guys who were coming from the front, they start to flee. The guys at the rear hear about that, 
and, and they flee. The guys at the rear flee to a fortified city. And Joab is like, we didn't even want to fight, so we're not going to chase them down. We'll leave that to next spring. So they just all go back to Jerusalem. And so, uh, but in verse 15 there, you see the Arameans, they're not very smart. Uh, They regroup, and they want to do another round. And so David now is going to lead the whole army across the Jordan to put down that threat. You know, David is not one to leave lingering threats around. That's a bad thing. When you know it's out there and you just don't want to confront it because you think, well, maybe it'll go away or, <laughs> you know, I don't like to confront. So I'm just going to, I know it's there and I know it's a threat, but I'm not going to deal with it. David's never like that. When it's out there and it's a threat, it needs to be dealt with. And you only make it worse when you let it grow and fester. Uh, and so David brings the guys. He goes out there. Uh, verse 19, as a result uh, he, he, uh, verse 18, David wipes them all out. And verse 19, as a result, Israel's territory expands to where it's supposed to be in the first place. Uh, and the people who lived in that region, they submit and make a treaty, and they, they're going to pay taxes to Israel because Israel's now the superpower in the region. I really like 19b is a lesson learned. It says, as a result of Israel's victory, these nomadic tribes uh, who were hiring themselves out canceled the policy of uh, mutual assistance treaties. You know, they said, you know, you can keep your 75,000 pounds of silver. Do not mess with the Jews. Uh, And that's the end of that story. Well, I want to close because I think that the Lord Jesus gave a parable that really shows the gospel at work but shows the story of chapter 9, where the gospel is so beautiful. Mephibosheth is us, who, who comes from nowhere and is a nobody, and he's lame and powerless and, an, and a former enemy. And he's, and he's restored and sitting at the table to this gospel that goes out to somebody who just says, no, thank you. I didn't trust you. I fear you. I think suspicious thoughts about you. I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 22. He also tells it in Luke 14. And I've taken the liberty of just borrowing from Luke 14 because they're very similar stories. I plugged a few verses from Luke 14 in and a few verses from our chapter into this parable. All right? And we'll close with that. Jesus speaking. Think of the kingdom of heaven like a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. Hey, I, I, I heard your dad just died. I'd like to offer you some comfort. I'd like to offer you to come to a party and forget about your troubles for a while. Come into the palace. Let the king comfort you, Hanun. But they all, like Hanun, refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything's ready. Come to the banquet. But their guests he invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them. For example, shaving off half of their beards, cutting their robes off at their waists. And some they even killed. The king was furious. 
And he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn down their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited don't consider themselves worthy of the honor. So go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. And he said, Guests like Mephibosheth, lame in both feet, humbled, knows about his weakness, embraces it, is honored, receives, and is blessed. And he's at the table in the banqueting hall with the king at the king's table. And then he says, And none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now here's how I see that phrase. Hanun was called by the king's kindness, but refused, so therefore wasn't chosen. Mephibosheth was called by the king's kindness, but he accepted. And as a result, he was chosen. So the world comes down, in my estimation, to two kinds of people. The Hanans who believe lies instead of the truth, who are led by fear and self-interest, who by their own choice refuse the king's grace and make themselves his enemies. That's group one. Group two is the Mephibosheths. They hear the king. They're humbled. They believe him. And his kind intentions, they admit their helplessness and let God seat them at his table. By resisting the king and believing lies, many will die. A lot of harm, not only to themselves, but bloodshed and wars. And it all could have been avoided just by softening his heart and letting the king show him kindness. But by accepting God's grace, we embrace our weakness, we humble ourselves, we cooperate, we let God love us. We refuse to be lied to. Even there are Christians tonight who don't, they're going to heaven, they can't enjoy God's love. They do not believe God loves them truly down deep. This is the problem. We won't receive the because it sounds so unbelievable that God could know everything about us and still love us and still take us into heaven. There are people here who struggle with their own assurance of salvation because they listen to the slander. God's kindness comes and says, I know you're lame in both feet. I know you live in no, nowhere's land out there. I know you're nobody. I know you're an enemy. I know all of that, but I just want to do this because I want to do this. That's who I am. It has nothing to do with you. Did I ask you to to straighten up your feet or try to walk a little bit better? No, just come as you are, sit at my table, accept my grace, and enjoy it. Be happy. You're a rich man now. You got servants, you got land, you got people to take care of you, and you're sitting at my table. Did I say a word to you about your behavior? Now our behavior changes because of receiving that kind of grace. And if it doesn't, then something's wrong with you. Amen? (laughs) No offense. (laughs) Let's let God's truth get through. Embrace it. Receive it. 
It's not too good to be true. It's so good and it's so true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful gospel. We will sing about it forever and ever. We'll never get tired of just the awe, the wonder of your wonderful mercy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.